Hi and welcome to the Andy Gorman Golf One Putt Podcast and I'm here in well, a bit of an autumnal day. It's uh, Yeah, the weather's definitely turned. We had glorious sunshine last week. Um, got to play some golf as uh, we will discuss and um, you know, spend some time with my thoughts and time with my dad. But, um, you know, we'll uh, touch on that. Um, but we've got an action-packed show, and I say it's a wee because my wingman and good buddy, uh, Gareth, you're in the wings. How are you, mate? Hi, Andy. How are you? Very well, thanks. Um, stuck to the TV over the weekend for, for good and for bad reasons. I'm not going to talk about the bad reasons, but, um, you know, kicking bags of wind around is not um, not necessarily... Oh, yeah, we this weekend. Okay, what happened with the football? Anyway, so, stepping aside, we'll move, that's it. Football's finished. Um, right, <laughs> and on to the golf. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, it just shows you, doesn't it, in sport, the most bizarre things can happen at the most bizarre times, which is uh, just incredible. But... Um, you know, golf threw up a you know some some phenomenal, uh, well, just viewing. View, I mean, phenomenal viewing stuck to the TV. Um, you know, certainly like you know we, we talked a little while ago, didn't we? You know, just for the last couple of hours of the of the golf year, I couldn't watch the, the golf in the states. I'm afraid I, I was a little bit tired. Um, you know, sort of up early and in the gym, you know, these days it's, uh, you know, I, I do need my beauty sleep now um, and I'm getting up so early. But, yeah, just incredible viewing. And, um, you know, congratulations to, to well, Europe. I mean, European golf has just had a phenomenal weekend. Sergio Garcia in the States, we'll talk about Sergio in a little while. Uh, Mel Reed, of course, winning her first LPGA and, of course, the local uh, here are, I remember watching Aaron Rye, um, my word, uh, as a junior at uh, Nailcut, you know, sort of seven or eight years ago, nine years ago even. Um, I, you know, just watch him go as a junior, young junior, you know, sort of relatively local to, to us, you know, lovely family. Um, and just to see him, you know, excel in his um, first Rolex event, um Wow, what what an incredible, a really clinical way of going about it. You know, the thing that impressed me was about the fact that you know nothing changed in his demeanour, and you know the disappointment that he would have felt from the only the week ago uh, in Ireland, where he had a chance to to win that event as well, and um, you know ended up bogey in the last. Uh, to, I believe it was a par five, wasn't he? he had a six on the mm. last. You know, sixes on par five is always difficult to, to take, but um, for him to end up with a six, it, he went for it, you know, cracking tee shot and he went for it. And, you know, we didn't touch base on it last week. Um, I didn't really want to dwell on it, you know, a little bit unfair, really. But, um, but you know, clinical, clinical approach. 64 on a Sunday um, where he just couldn't get it going at all the week before, um, but still had a chance to win. And then, um, you know, to be able to shoot a 64 um, was phenomenal. A good shout out to, to Robert Rock as well. Um, and we will talk about maybe a decision or two that weren't quite right, um, you know, in terms of the golf. But, uh, yeah, where, I mean, where, where, where shall we start with this? Because there's, a, you know, fantastic stories, you know, around it. Obviously, you know, Mel Reed. We'll have a little touch on Mel first to start with. I mean, her... Maiden victory on the LPGA, um, birdie the last to win by two. You know, sort of the opt the optimum way to go ahead and do it. You you're leading by one, um, you know, and sort of for sixty seven in the final round is just fantastic. But um, you know what uh, what was your, what was your take on it, Gareth? Well, I, th- I think it's been long overdue. I think Mal's been playing some great golf, and especially in the states, the game's really suited mm. to the states in terms of her distance, her, her approach play, and then a, a short game. But I think something that's really helped, I think it's been over the last couple of years, really, since since Nike went out of um, the club manufacturing mm-hmm. business. And I know this was, we'll touch on this with other players as well, but the ability now to not be attached yeah. to a brand. And what I mean by that from a, a, a kind of hardware perspective, where Mal's now got a bag of clubs that, that she feels comfortable with and that she can play with. And, and some aren't. Brand new. I know she's got a G four hundred driver yeah. in, in the bag, um, and 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 
facets like that. But what, what's your take on that? First of all, Andy, of that having the ability now for players to have the bag of choice or the, the equipment that they, they well, desire? I think, I think potentially it's always, well, it has always been there, but it's down to whether or not the player and the player's agent, probably more importantly, you know, is prepared to let the player choose their own bag and, and, and not take the spoils that go with it. You know, I know certainly, you know, from the, the girls' point of view, if you're not, and the guys, if you're not what they call an icon player. Now, you know, even Sergio Garcia, who we'll come to in a minute, and, and we're going to talk about this, you know, Sergio and, and Justin Rose were being eliminated from the icon player packages, which ultimately then meant, that they evaluated, and this is comments that I got from the European Tour a couple of years ago when all this was going on, when Justin was leaving um, to go to Honma, um, you know, is that they, they couldn't justify um, Justin and Sergio, even though Sergio was, was Masters champion um, at the time, they couldn't justify keeping them as icon players. Now, what they called in icon players was, um, you know, your John Rams, Justin Johnsons, obviously Tiger, Rory. You know, they could justify big money spends on these guys rather than journeyman spends. So, you know, I'm going to throw some numbers which may or may not be applicable, but let's just say half a million pound contracts that were around on the European tour for many golfers all of a sudden dried up and they valued the golfer as how many drivers would they sell? What, how many drivers would their face sell? You know, and that's the way that they yeah. started to look at it. And they said that, you know, a guy who would have been on half a million pounds, you know, a contract, whether it's over 12 months or two years or three years or whatever, but you know, he's probably only worth 25,000 pounds to the local golf club community within his locale where he's, he's been brought up. You know, so we'll offer you £25,000. And, you know, that's a heck of a lot of money for these players who've been used to it, you know, sort of going out there and getting it. So then Callaway picks up and says, right, well, okay, well, we'll, we'll have a couple of these players, a handful of these players, we'll have a, dozens of these players. And all of a sudden, you know, you see more Callaway bags around. But of course, you know, when you look at it also, Ping have done this over the years anyway, they valued a player for what they've, however they valued them, but they valued them as a worth, you know, number, you know, for whatever reason, and then told them that they've got to use certain clubs. So, you know, there's, there was always a driver in the bag. Um, there was always a putter in the bag and, you know, there had to be then, I think if I remember rightly, something like 11 clubs uh, on a pin contract, mm -hmm. you know, Taylor made, you know, ultimately then I, from what I believe had 14 club contracts in place, of course, you know, slightly different with Tiger, um, you know, but a lot of these contracts restrict the player from doing what they want to do. And, you know, it may well be that they're very comfortable with a particular putter, um, but the company doesn't want them, you know, to play their, you know, irons and drivers and uh, or pay them a million pound. So, you know, when when that all starts to dry up, yes, Nike disappeared um, and players started to move around a little bit more and you've got big brand, big players, you know, playing the Nike brand, then become available for, you know, to become icon players and, and tailor-made. It becomes a, a, almost a bit of a cattle market for, you know, sort of, almost auctioning the the value of that player. Um, and of course the agents will go and run for it, you know? So, you know, there are players that will always go looking for, you know, for the money, not necessarily for the best equipment that suits them. And, you know, I could point to a few and I, I'm not going to, because, you know, that's, one, it's not fair for, for me to judge somebody's, um, management team, which invariably is the case. I'll just say, you know, how it works. Because Rocky's one of those players that's never, you know, not had necessarily contracts in, in the bag to play certain types of clubs or bags fulls of clubs for a number of years now. Uh, same with his clothing. You know, we know he doesn't wear a cap and, you know, because he doesn't want to have a logo. He doesn't want to wear a cap. So, you know, when a manufacturer says we want you to wear a cap that's got a logo on it, 
He says, I don't want to wear a cap or choose to wear a cap if I want to wear a cap. So he has a, a wet and cold weather cap um, that we see. And, you know, he's a he's quite unique and, I'm, you know, to some degree, a bit of a trendsetter, I suppose. Um, you, you know, you see players like Brooks Kepka are doing, the, you know, has done the same, you know, in terms of said, right, I'm going to play the clubs I want to play. Tommy Fleetwood, I'm going to play the clubs. Of course, they're all Nike players, um, you know, and they've chosen not to take the spoils that are out there, possibly perceiving them to be, you know, sort of conflicts of interest or, you know, that if it is a, a bag full of clubs, then I don't want to hit the driver of those clubs or the wedge of those clubs. I want to play, you know, the, the clubs I want to use. So, of course, if you are a multi-multi-millionaire and you can afford to do it, and, you know, whatever it is that you're going to sacrifice uh, in terms of a player's equipment um, deal, then it, um, it becomes a little bit easier. But, of course, you know, those that are, to some degree, either grabbing the money or, you know, they, they need the money, um, you know, their careers are, haven't quite established you know, and, and there's a big, decent check available, then, of course, you know, go and get it, you know. But, but you know, I, I'm not going to judge anybody on that merit as long as it suits you. Um, but if it compromises you, and I know that, you know, I've had players in the past have been told not to use me if they want to have a contract with a particular brand. And so, as you know, as coaches, coaches are cold at times because we don't fit the mould you know, or we're, you know, not necessarily representing another brand, or but perceived to be supporting another brand, or we sell a lot of another brand, um, you know, within our facilities. And, you know, it's, it's just sometimes, you know, players aren't strong enough to just turn around and say, you know what, this guy's actually working for me and he's part of my team. And I've been improving my putting and short game stats since I've been working with him. And that's worth more than, you know, the few extra pound here or there that's going to um, allow them to use that equipment. And, you know, if a player is strong enough and knows themselves well and they know that their coach is helping them to get to the place where they want to be, they can have whatever contract they want, ultimately. Yeah. How does it work, Andy, on tour when you've got this free bag? Does Do you go to a Titleist? Do you go to a Callaway and say, can I play your driver? Can I play your wedges? Is it kind of a little bit more like open market when you've got a free it bag? Is, How because, does it work? Uh, you know, to some degree, the, the free bag offers an element of kudos as well for the company. Now, I'm not sure whether the companies you know, would agree with me, but, you know, if a player chooses, you know, we, I'm just sort of got a little bit off piece. Let's say Brooks Kepka, he, he wins major championships with his Nike clubs and then chooses to play with um, Mizuno Irons. Now, there's a massive kudos for that. And, you know, why wouldn't he? Well, you know, ultimately, Mizuno get the option on that, you know, to do something with it. And they probably have had a discussion and they're quite happy. Number one, that Brooks Kepka and Paul Casey, another one, you know, Tommy Fleetwood, another one. Um, although Tommy, you know, did play some Mizuno irons, I think, and don't shoot shoot me if I've got that wrong. Um, I know he played with a lot of his Mizuno, uh, his Nike clubs for a while, but certainly Paul Casey and, um, and Brooks Kepka chose to play Mizuno Irons, and we all know how good they are, you know. And everything is very subjective. You either do like or don't like, and you know Mizuno make a phenomenal club. Uh, period, and you know there are a dozen manufacturers now that make really good clubs. So I'm not sort of picking out one over another. What I'm saying is that they all make equally as good a club, but there has to be something in the way that it looks, the way that it plays, the way that it feels, you know, all those things for a player of these magnitudes, you know, makes a lot more um, sense. And I will say that for me, um, there are maybe one or two companies that could tease a whole bag but not many so you know i and i'm not going to judge them because some folk are using putters that i would say now they would they don't do anything for me that's the personal choice of a putter of course 
but they make great wedges, they make great, you know, irons, they make great drivers, they make great fairways, oh, maybe don't make such great hybrids. Um, it, you know, there's lots of, lots of things that you can look at and go, oh, I wish that was just a little bit better. Well, you know, if you've got an 11 club contract, then maybe those are one or two or three clubs that you get a chance to choose. But as a player, yeah, you go, you would typically go and talk to the rep. Everybody's got relationship with the reps, whether or not you, uh, you play that equipment or not. It's not, it's, you know, it's a very close knit community. It's a family on tour, you know, and yes, you may yeah. be playing 90% of your bag, you know, 12 clubs, maybe Callaway, but, you know, you you may like the look of a Vokey wedge, you know, or a Cleveland wedge, or you know, uh, or a ping putter, or you know, and if it, again, will always depend on whether or not you're you've got a putter bound contract, and and a lot of them have because it's you see so many shots played with the putter. Of course, it's the most used club in the bag. It'll be used twice as much, at least, of any other club in the bag. So. Mm. Or Andy, or Amos, or a Maxify putter. If you're a well, yeah, I mean that's the interest. I mean, I love that. I think that was a TM two, um, and and I had exactly that putter um, when I was winning my international events. Um, you know, I'm playing out in Jamaica, um, but I had exactly the same putter. Phenomenal, Tad Moore Maxify putter. Um, Is that the one Seb put it as well? It as well, yeah. Um, and just I, as soon as I saw Rocky with it the other day, I thought, that's a tad more. And it's like, no, it can't be, you know. And then when I saw it, I, thought, oh, I believe he'd had an Odyssey grip on. Um, he did, you yeah. Know, and again, this is down to feel, you see. He's been, he's been going to the tour truck, took me a, a grip on this. From the outside looking in, if that if they hadn't got the white paint on there, um we you wouldn't know you know that could have been a too long you know uh putter um which is the premium brand of, of odyssey so you know that that could have easily been one of those and many a putter has been copied on that style so you know yeah that's absolutely superb um you know sort of example that you know there's rocky out there with a 30 year old putter um albeit a very fine 30 year old putter i'm going to be honest with you um and i, I is there any any putters that you've got, Andy, that are, are sentimental in that way and uh, may occasionally get a trip no. on the golf course? Um, in a word, um, I did have. I <laughs> bought my. I bought my. Um, the, there were a couple that I brought back. So you know, I had a Wilson uh, TPA eighteen, and I had a Wilson TPA eight, and those were you know because it was a centre shafty putter. When I started to make the transition towards the centre shafty putters which I've now played for years, to be honest. Um, you know, when I was shooting my best golf in Jamaica, you know, and playing off plus four and, you know, winning, you know, sort of know, countless events, to be perfectly honest with you. I mean, I can't remember how many events I won. Um, One-day events and I won a you know, multi-round, sort of 54-hole event as well. But, um, you know, I was using centre-shafted. But, of course, you know, if you look at that tad more that Rocky's using, it was also looks a little bit more centre-shafted than certainly heel-shafted. And, um, you know, I brought those putters back somewhere along the line and amongst my many moves in the last 20 years, um, you know, the putters have disappeared. I've probably liquidated them, I suppose, but not that I can recall. I remember a friend asking if he could borrow, borrow the tad more um and as i wasn't using it you know i said to him yeah of course you can no problem at all um and i never saw it again so you know but yeah I, I you know as a kid growing up i couldn't afford to have more than one putter so i used to you know clean it polish it drop a bit of white paint into it make it look as clean and new as possible and then take it into the local store that took in the trade-ins and um you know went and got another one so i remember doing that on so many occasions um i've had dozens and dozens and dozens I, i've probably got into the hundreds of putters to be honest with you um over the years but uh yeah generally speaking didn't keep too many i remember my dad bless him somewhere along the line i've got a couple of really old sort of 1970s versions um ping answers and um you know there was a distinct style to them that were a little bit deeper back and a little bit less long in the toe 
of the club and you know they really fit my eye i got a couple of them you know set them up did what i needed to do took one out to jamaica left one here came back where's that butter gun dad um oh, i think i got rid of it a car boots on what <laughs> he was just like <laughs> how did that happen you know it's like a ping ganza butter and dad stopped playing and he possibly thought it was his i don't know but um you know i forgave him um you know who wouldn't but um yeah i was gutted um you know it was one of those my fin- first ping anza butter and i remember trading it in with you know about 15 pound in my pocket so that this guy could buy one off the shelf for us at the belfry which we didn't do trade-ins but he was desperate he, did, he needed this extra sort of 15 quid so i gave it to him um in fact i've got a think funny feeling it was 14 pound i gave him for it but we were selling brand new putters ping anza putters at the time for 29.99 so just wow. to give you a bit of a bit of an idea, <laughs> 1985. So uh, and 34.99 for stainless. So uh, like the the B60s and stuff like that. So yeah, it was. Um, and what are they now? They're about 200 something, pound on eBay something, or something like, like that. that. Yes, I bought I bought one. Actually, interestingly, I bought one the other day, brand new, um, albeit in the slightly later design. So when I say brand new, absolutely pristine um i'm gonna say an early 80s model and um it was absolutely pristine the grip had seen a better day but um it was 35 inches long as well um so yeah and um i think i paid 42 pound for it plus the postage less than 50 pound so um yeah barely barely any more than um you know would have been but yeah i know i've seen them fetching two three hundred quid um you know battered and beaten um you know they come off a treat though andy i remember i did one i know you did yeah this father's day it came up an absolute treat yeah it's it interesting when you reshaft them and you get that head out and you drop the head down the weighing scales and find out that it's somewhere between 295 and 325 grams i mean it's just like the variables in the weight is just incredible but actually you know i mean i used to load mine with lead you know, so so the back of the face, which has got like a little recess, I used to fill it with lead tape and just get as much lead tape in there as, as I could and get it to a weight which was reasonable. Um, you know, and of course, obviously, we were using short putters and bent over with the toe in the air and giving it a little bit of stab and a rising elbow, a little bit like Seve did, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, because it was a putter that sort of was so iconic to Seve, you know, it was, um, you know, you tried to putt like Seve as well, and, you know, it was... Uh, just fond memories of, of being a you know kid again. So, um, but yeah, you know, I mean, uh, look, uh, Rob, I've got something to say to you, Rocky. What on earth were you doing on the 18th? <laughs> you've hit a cracking drive. You've hit a good second shot. It's come up a little bit short. Whatever wind didn't carry it. I don't know whether you struck it perfectly. It looked like you did, but I, you know, it also looked like you were maybe taking one less club and just trying to ease it in there um i'm not going to judge that that's you, you know you're playing the shots that you that's got you into contention but chipping from the fringe i don't think i've shouted at the tv quite as much and the clue happened on the 16th so guys you know you're listening and i appreciate every single one of you for listening here's some education for today's session when you've got the opportunity to get up and down take your putter first do not pull your wedge first there is nothing at all to stop that ball from being putted and the ball rolling up to within side of putter length he's got half a chance of making it you know with a putt but everything that he could do did do you know it's apart from win the tournament you know and the daft thing was, I mean, I, you know, I was shouting in the midst of shouting at the TV and trying to get Rocky to understand and listen and hear, you know, all of what I was shouting at the TV and hurling, you know, sort of all, you know, sort of <laughs> words that um, will not be repeated. It's just like, oh, my word. You know, it's just the biggest mistake. Jack Nicholas had a lesson off Arnold Palmer back, at, I'm going to say, 1959, 1960, you know, 50, 60 years, 60 years ago virtually and he's told him take your putter from the fringe because your bat your worst putt will always end up better than your worst chip and that was Arnold Palmer telling Jack Nicholas and I think Jack listened 
fairly well. And, you know, I've heard Jack repeat that lesson dozens of times. You've got to play the percentage. Your nerve endings are tingling. I don't care whether you're trying to win the medal, club championship, break 100 for the first time, win a tournament on the European Tour, win a major, get the ball on the ground as quickly as you possibly can. It is not the shot to get elevated. And the clue happened on the 16th. And he managed to hold a 12-foot putt for birdie, which was a phenomenal putt. But the clue should have been there. You can mess this up big time. And he left the first one short at 16, and he hit it virtually the same distance past on the next, uh, you know, on the 18th. It's just... Was he trying to play that drop and stop kind of shot, Andy? Is that what he was trying to st- kind of play, that one-bounce grab? If he was, trickles up to the uh, you know, and, and all fairness, if he was, then it, I didn't see the method was conducive for that. I, You know, for no. me, it looked like a simple, you know, sort of land it, you know, 20 feet in front of him, you know, land on the green and just release up to the hole. We saw Aaron Ride just play an exquisite shot. Now, Aaron had much less of a choice to take the putter. He could have, um, but he had less of a choice. There was a little bit of ground that Rocky ended up on, which had been re-sodded and, and was determined to be ground under repair. Um, that gave Rocky the option to play the putt. That was the daft thing. Because the option for the putt was was almost negated. If that ball was in play and playing as it lied, he had his pitch mark that he just just pitched just twelve inches in front of him, um, and so you know he'd have had to negotiate going round that in order to um, you know sort of to hit a putt. But the fact that he was able to drop to the side meant that he had a clear run into the hole. So, you know, what are you playing at? Look, you know, Rocky makes a living playing golf. Um, and he could make that mistake, you know, in terms of execute the shot poorly under pressure, okay? So, you know, I don't want to beat Rob up because, you know, we do cross paths from time to time and I don't want him to, you know, sort of have a moan if he has a chance to listen to this. Um you know, at some point, you know, I'm entitled to an opinion. We live in the democracy. <laughs> um, respect that, Rob. But, you know, I think it was a mistake to play the shot. And, you know, unfortunately, you didn't quite get the execution right. Um, for me, it would have been a putter all day long. And, you know, there's no pride on the scorecard. You know, if you knock the putt yeah. in or roll it up stone dead and end up in a playoff and get beaten by you know, Aaron, you know, a couple of holes later, you know, losing a playoff is is no great hardship. Trust me, you know, and Rocky's been there before. Um, he, you know, you lose to a better player invariably. Yes, you could hit a couple of bad shots, um, but, but you do what you do. But the opportunity there to, to get in the playoff and then just extend it, you know, the chances of holding the chip, that's what he thought and he felt he could hold it the chances of holding the chip are probably going to be less than holding the putt from off the fringe. So give yourself the opportunity. If the ball's running at the hole and you give it a good fine start, you know, as a roll, you know, then fine. He'll have his reasons why he didn't do it, you know, and he probably regrets it now, why he hit his wedge. Um, you know, and I, again, I, this, I'm trying not to judge, you know, Rocky. It's a great example for us as golfers who Rocky's one of the better players in the world, certainly better players in Europe. And, you know, if he, under the pressure, can fail to execute that shot well enough to be able to tap in the putt or close enough so he can get into the playoff, then every single one of us need to look at ourselves and go, you know what, putt is the best option. And the first option. Do you think that's a trend? Do you think that's a trend that we're, we're not seeing so much because of maybe in the States on the PJ Tour? And the RPJ tour where they're having to lose loft and getting those reactions. So the players are seeing it on the TV and going, right, that's the, that's the on with shot. Because I get it when I'm coaching people that that people like look at me like I've got three heads when I suggest getting the putter out. And do you think that's just a vanity thing with amateur golfers, or they see what they are they do on the TV and they try and emulate it? Um, I think there is the element of seeing it on TV. I mean, I'm, I get, you know, I've already said it. You know, I I put it with the toe in the air with a ping and a butter bent double over it and tried to put like Sevy. Why? Because Sevy did it, you know, and it worked yeah. for Sevy. 
so yeah, we do watch on TV and it's not going to change over the last 40 years. You know, I mean, I've been playing golf 43 years now. Nothing's really changed. Yes, the equipment's changed. Yes, the setup and makeup of the equipment and the bags have changed. But ultimately, we still watch our um, idols and want to emulate them. You know, it's been, you know, folk all the time are doing it. You know, like, you know, I go down the gym four times a week now. I crack it. Never thought I'd say that even a month ago. But you know, because of a weakness in my back, I have to keep it strong. So that's the reason why I'm in the gym. Um, but you know, I'm watching watching people. I'm sure people are looking at themselves in. I'm looking at myself in the mirror, watching my form, making sure I'm doing it right because it's new to me. You know, I go down the range and I look at myself in the mirror to make sure my form is right because I'm trying to do certain things when I'm training and practicing, etc. You know, some folk are looking themselves in the mirror, haven't got a clue what they're looking at. You know, and the mm -hmm. others looking in the mirror, making sure they look good. You, you know, now, like I say, I'm watching, I'm studying my form. You know, but there are there's you know guys sort of you know, flexing a bit of muscles. That's <laughs> like that's the whole reason why I didn't go to a gym for years. You know, sort of. But you know, when we when we're what when we're watching folk, you know, we're watching and we're admiring and we aspire to be able to do the things that they're doing. So you know, why are we? You know, why are we surprised? And you know, we're not. We watch a lot of golf from the US, of course. And you know, a lot of these players. What you've got to be mindful of: these players are doing stuff. They've got hours and hours. We've talked about this before. They've got hours and hours and hours of time to kill, and they learn new skills around the greens when they, or new ideas. And they watch players as well. So they watch these sexy-looking shots, the one hot check, and a little bit of you know three or four foot release towards the hole. They often get, you know, and they watch that and admire it because it's something that they can't do, and they learn to do it. And then somebody else will watch and admire, and because they can't do it. And they'll watch closely and maybe even have a chat. So oh, this is how I learned to do it. It's like, oh, right. oh, crikey, yeah, that, oh, how good's that? And they're doing all sorts of stuff. I watch players around because it's my area of, of, the, of the, the tournament where I'm going to hang out. And, you know, I'm watching players and I'm listening to them and they're standing on golf balls in bunkers and trying to get the golf ball to spin. Now, technically, you shouldn't be able to do that, but they're learning ways to present the club to the sand and, you know, create a a reaction from the sun to produce a softer land or, you know, even a bit of spin. And you look at it and go, wow, how do they do that? Well, of course, and you watch intently, 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 maybe even ask a question of, you know, the peer or, you know, the player. And, you know, you get a, a, an opinion of what they're doing. And that's what's happening all the time, you know. So they're driving themselves as well by doing that you know that's a great thing about it the bit i really love about it is that they are driving all of this is driving you know improvements at skills you know and they'll try and play the shots under certain pressure because they know they've got to put it under pressure at some point so yeah it, you know sevi used to, the thing i loved about sevi is yes i spent a lot of time and i've said before on here you know, I became a bit of a shadow to him. I was probably a bit of a pest and a nuisance. But, you know, I didn't trouble the man. You know, I gave him space, but I was definitely there. And, you know, I I watched him play a lot of pitch shots around the greens, pitch and runs, chip and runs, you know, using different clubs. He oftentimes had a nine iron in his hand. You know, and that's the thing for me. He didn't, and of course, nine iron back then would be similar to a wedge today. But, you know, ultimately, you'd have a nine iron or an eight iron. You'd play little run, running shots. Yes, he could spin the ball. But he never tried to. He'd play the ball with a very soft landing, flighted spot, uh, shot, but he'd never try to spin the ball, um, you know, when I watched him. You know, I mean, he, he, he could do it, don't get me wrong, but he just never seemed to be trying to do it all the time. If he was there with a bag of balls, hitting shots, he'd be playing, you know, a dozen different ways to get the ball close to that hole with the same club. So he'd hood it and, you know, take the loft off it, he'd open the hand, lower the hands, open the face, you know, do all sorts of things to cre create different shots with one club. And of course, we know his ability to be able to play all sorts of shots with a three iron. So that's where Seve's creativity came in. Unfortunately, the majority of golfers are not that good. 
you know, they, to be able to utilize one club and create all those shots. But that's how I learned um, to do it primarily because I watched Seve doing it. But now, you know, I'll use a seven iron. I'll, I'll pull a seven iron just as easily as I will. And, you know, invariably, I'm not using my 58 degree wedge, you know, around the greens either. I could be using my 50 or my 54 or my 46 or, you know, they, and they are just numbers on the bottom of the club, by the way. You know, the lofts are different. But, you know, I'm using different clubs around the greens to produce a different shot, but to keep it as simple as possible. But but my first yeah, exactly. two Talking club about... go to club is the putter. If I can't get the putter on it because the ground between the ball and the and the edge of the green is too rough, the putter's gone. Look at Tommy Fleetwood. Great example. Tommy Fleetwood on the par three. Uh, I'm going to say about 14th yesterday. He's hit it up against the wall, almost up against the wall. He can chip it if he wants, and he puts yeah. it through some rough ground to a foot. Brilliant. That's the best example. When Rocky saw that with his own eyes. <laughs> Talking of another talented Spanish golfer, um, just like Seve Garcia. Sergio had a win at the weekend. Very surprising because he's had a, a little Quite drought. A job, but one of the things that I noticed in the in the coverage that he was putting with right. his eyes closed. Uh, thoughts, thoughts. Andy? Um, desperation. Um, a lot of talk about the fact that you know he's trying to he's putting with his eyes closed in order to combat the yips. I'm not. I'm not entirely sure that, you know, the evidence of the yips in its full-blown state has been prevalent. I've certainly not seen it. It's not, look, we've got press all over the place, even if we haven't got public producing snapshots and video clips um, like we used to. There are, um, there's far too much video coverage around to capture um, a twitching yip. Um, But that doesn't mean to say that, of course, he's, um, he's not. What was interesting for me, though, is that he'd gone back to a conventional grip, which I which I like. Yeah, I saw that. Um, mm-hmm. Posturally, he looks taller, and maybe maybe he took a leaf out of Tiger's book and thought, well, I'll try a slightly longer putter and see if that works. Um, but we talked about, you know. You know um, personally, Gareth, that we've talked about quiet eye. And of course, there's no more quiet eye than closed. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but bigger than, I mean, the eye is a major issue, right? So the, the eye will create all sorts of issues, um, variables. But his head's moving around all over the place. And, you know, it's rotating, it's rocking, it's moving, you know, it's, it's, oh, it's doing all sorts of things, even though the eyes are closed. So, you know, is he squinting? Is he, you know, without all the definitive, um, you know, sort of camera angles and conversations, he can say he's got his eyes closed, but I can close my eyes and still see. We all can. Um, mm-hmm. but, but if it's, you know, if his putting strokes become more focused and it allows him to do what he's doing, um, I'm not going to decry that. That is, you know, he's found a solution. Now, if it's a short-term solution, band-aid on a broken bone, the bone's going to snap at some point. I like the way his putting stroke looks. Um, in the short term, ultimately in the long term, I think you know there's there's a, a, a even more significant improvement. You know, as as many a, uh, a fan of the show and you know, um, you know of all the social media platforms that we run on. Uh, you know, will attest to that, you know, if you stand up tall, you can allow the chest to rotate around the spine. And if you bend, you are encouraging the hands and arms to get too active. And the thing I liked about Sergio's stroke is that his hands and arms looked free and the putter movement was very, very smooth. So um, if he's found a solution, then that's great. But, you know, how long will that band-aid stay on? If it's not a solution yeah. to the problem, and, and it'll something... be a band-aid temporarily and he'll be looking for something else. I mean, that's... that's Yeah, because he's changed so much, hasn't he, in he terms has, of his yeah. grips, his thickness of grip, his style yeah. of putter. Yeah, the yeah absolutely. It's, um, it's a shame to see. And, you know, it has me shouting at the TV, do you not know where I am and all this sort of stuff. But, you know, that's, uh, you know... Um, because I know that I can help these guys. Now, you know, if I can help anybody who's uh, willing to be helped. 
if you know if the pig headed and stubborn you know they you know you're not a client of mine because it is an all-in system you know it's, it's a system that is a formula that is a solution to your problems as simple as that you know and you know the, the successes that we're having both face-to-face and remotely is phenomenal you know and um, and i think that's the point we need to make to, to a lot of people out there that you don't have to live in the Midlands or the UK to see yeah. you. That nowadays with technology, if I was in Australia, if I was in California, if I was in Indonesia, I could pick up the, 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 yeah. the Zoom call or the Skype and we could have a putting consultation. We could have a remote live putting consultation. Um, as, you know, yeah. as daft as it seems, you know, I, I, I do all of this in my living room. Uh, purely because I've got a mo- the most stable um, internet connection in the living room. I mean, I can do it at a studio, as you know, but, um, you know, I do I do pretty much everything in my living room these days. And, you know, it's it works on the basis that we are learning how to do things instinctively. So we're encouraging the brain to release the body's instinctive behavior and movement and you know that's why you know neil in in texas 22 putts uh saturday so we're monday so on saturday he had 22 putts in his competition you know and um you know as you said you know any you know a lot of contributing factors around his short game as well you know i think his words were if you know i'm sort of paraphrasing here but the best short game and putting performance ever you know, and 22 putts is, you know, very much going to fall into one of those ever categories. Better still is the fact that actually well, he's lowered his handicap. So I think we we started remote learning during lockdown at around about April time. Um, and he was playing off uh, 10.3, is now off 7.1. Um, you know, so that's a significant drop. Lowest handicap he's ever had. Um and you know ultimately what neil's done is you know imbibed you know the need to you know to to improve that's the first thing sought the advice and got in touch listened to what i've had to say and plowed in with everything so you know lengthened the club flattened the club got his posture right you know allowed himself to the time to learn um you know and and, and sort of cracked on with it and then continued to ask for advice on a short game and you know spent we spent time on the the short game and ultimately you know he's now done it you know so you know but 22 putts with over 100 feet of putts hold is also incredibly impressive so um you know that's a that's a good amount of putts but also a decent length of putts as well so um so well done well done there well done, Neil. How does it work, Andy? For like people out there who are not sure how kind of remote live coaching works, what, what's the um, process? Simply, you know, we get in touch through the website or through the social platforms. So golfandygorman.com, that's the first point of contact. You can contact me there or through the website at andygormangolf.com and go through to the contact page uh, and, and ask the question. Just headline it. Just tell us where you are in terms of country. Um, you know, so it gives me a bit of an idea in terms of time zone. And then we can schedule a call um you know to discuss so initially you know we'll have a a zoom or skype or sort of facetime call whatever's going to be um the the cheapest but also the most stable option for us both and then you know ultimately we'll sit down and and go through um you know your needs and whether or not i feel that you're suitable for it not everybody is ultimately um you know, there is a, a cost to it. There's a time commitment for me. I'm building a bespoke program for every client uh, as as they come on board. And, um, you know, they ultimately, you know, we, we do a series of videos back and forth. We have conversations about it. You know, I've got clients now in Australia and um, the, the Middle East, the Far East, the, um, and then, you know, West Coast of America, Texas, you know, California, of course, and, you know, East Coast, um, Midwest, uh, the States, you know, all literally all over. And, of course, here in the UK as well. I mean, the guys, girls that are literally saying, look, you know, I'm not coming down from Scotland, you know, sort of an 11-hour drive to come down or, you know, an hour and a half in a plane, you know, at this time. Um, 
you know, can we do remote? And, you know, it, it works. It works a treat. Video, like you send me videos, we set, set you up a platform to be able to host your video. Um, I then have a look, we then schedule a call, you know, and we go through those pointers, then I'll watch you make your changes. And it, it's like having a lesson, but without the hands on, you know, um, it's a bit, you know, it's a little strange in the first instance. I mean, everybody saw me that, um, didn't think I'd be doing this, didn't think it was possible, but then bang, all of a sudden we can make a change that sees a significant improvement. And, you know, the, the investment, you know, is, is both financial and time, but ultimately, you know, there's a platform that is put together, uh, a program put together for each individual client that, um, that suits them. And of course, you know, into short game, you know, we do that. We, we've either got, you know, sort of the soft flight balls or whatever it is that we've got to be able to fire balls at the TV or, you know, wherever we happen to be firing them. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, to get the job done, you know, indoors, but we can focus on the element of learning, you know, right the way through. And of course, you know, I've, I've got my facility and, you know, I can record images and, you know, I, I even offer advice on the slightly longer clubs as well. Um, once, you know, we know where a client's at with certain swing characteristics and traits, you know, we can, we can develop on the back of that as well. So, you know, uh, there's, there's a formula for the short game and you know and that's the key uh to it that's what makes it lends itself to you know remote learning and um you know i have a lot of fun you know i can I, like tomorrow let me have a look in the diary uh tomorrow i'm in australia and it's a bit well the weather's probably about it's springtime in australia at the moment um but i'm in australia tomorrow mm -hmm. and i'm in um I want to say, well, we're on Pacific time. So West Coast of the United States uh, tomorrow evening. So, yeah, uh, it can be a long day, you know, but, um, you know, with, with the other programs that we're doing, you know, at the moment, working towards for winter, uh, you know, we're, you know, a busy day tomorrow, but every day is busy with the amount of programs and, you know, writing uh programs for individuals that's really the key you know when I, when i've got a client in front of me face to face i'm still writing a program that's bespoke for them certain things i want to achieve certain things i want to um when the client wants an outcome i want to achieve that i guarantee every single lesson whether you face to face or you know so remote we are going to achieve the outcome that the client's asking for so you know if it's win the open championship by 2040 I've got a lot of work to do, um, you know, between now and 2040. But, you know, if we are working with a three-year-old child, it's quite feasible. But, you know, if we're working with a 40-year-old, you know, then they're kind of going to be 60. So, you know, it, the, the, we, we do set the, uh, the outcomes that we're looking to achieve to be realistic. So, but again, it's mutual. I just I enjoyed the experience. I I and something again that not many people will know, but I had a, a remote live yes. putter fitting, and that that was a brilliant experience because for one I wouldn't think it'd be it'd be able to be done, but you made it possible, and there was a few tools and the tricks of the trade that you needed to see from me, but it worked, and and we then. Um, I sent you my putter and you made yeah. the adjustments. Yeah, it's I mean, ultimately, great. you know, obviously you've got a putter that you want to adjust to start with, or, you know, I can build putters. I, I, I mean, I did dozens during lockdown. You know, I, I had the putters available on eBay so folk could buy them and then we could just build them out from there or, you know, those that weren't on the eBay, we could, you know, folk were asking for all sorts of putters in the end, you know, and I just got them, you know, ordered and delivered either to me for me to do them or, um, you know, because um, we know putter manufacturers don't generally make putters to fit. So, you know, I had to make the adjustments myself. So I had to acquire the putter for the client and, you know, or the client would send me the putter and I'd make the adjustments either in my home workshop or, you know, in my studio workshop. So, um, you know, so, yeah, I mean, I can turn putters around very, very quickly, which is, you know, a really satisfying and it's something i enjoy you know i mean i was a hands-on guy i you know my, i learned how to use tools from my dad and you know we've um you know i got reminisce of the thing you know i walk in the garage and all my dad's tools are there and you know i see them lined up and 
you know, sort of think, right, okay, you know, I remember when we first used this or, you know, the, the exhaust that we were fitting onto my dad's car 40 years ago, you know, sort of who's going underneath, you know, sort of <laughs> how are we getting underneath, you know, drive onto ramps and all sorts of stuff. I mean, you know, health and safety go mental now if they're some of the things we used to do. But, you know, it was, um, yeah, I mean, you know, for me, it was, you know, learning to use tools was a very much a thing. I mean, my kids don't know how to use tools um that's not entirely true you know um they do but you know not to the degree that i do they didn't do any stuff at school we did you know as woodworking metalworking you know crafting doing all sorts of stuff at school and you know learn how to use the tools um that i've got in my garage that you know most most kids don't even know what a hammer is these days let alone a left-handed screwdriver so uh hey. um, um but you know it, it's mm -hmm. You know, if you if you've got a little bit of creativity, a little bit of you know sort of practical nouns, you can do it. Um, do a lot of it yourself, and you know, but leave leave the expertise to the experts. Um, you know, the bending of the clubs, and even Gareth. You know, you need need certain equipment. So Gareth hasn't got equipment. He is a pro. Uh, he has done all of his PGA training. He's learned to adjust equipment, but you do need specialist equipment to be able to adjust. And, um, you know, I mean, just watching and learning, you know, Gareth's seen me adjusting clubs for other clients, um, you know, subsequently and, you know, understood what happened to his club to make it fit. And, you know, it, he's got a putter that's bang on. So, you know, that's that's really the key. So, um, And that that's something, again, I encourage everybody into the winter months now in a lot of places. Think about your short game. Let's reflect and, and let's see if we can help you. And it doesn't no, have to exactly. be in person. I mean, one of the things that, you know, about short game is you can do a lot of it indoors. And you don't need a huge amount of space, a little bit of a mat to be able to hit from if you're playing on hard surfaces, you know, a little bit of a mat to chip to. Or if you've got your, you know, sort of soft flight balls, you know, you can use those. So there's lots of ways that you can incorporate indoor practice you know around your new skill sets and you know these are the things that you know ultimately you can really improve but um you know for those of you that were you know wondering uh, i did mention at the top of the show that um you know i was i did manage to get a game of golf uh last week the for those of you that listened last week uh, it was the second anniversary of my dad's passing um the weather was absolutely stunning. I managed to play 16, well, I played 16 yeah, holes in short sleeves, which was just superb. Um, Becky, those of you that don't know, is my wife when she was at work, but she managed to join me. I had um, 12 holes alone with my dad and my thoughts and uh, playing the golf course that I learned to play golf with dad. And, you know, we... We, you know, had an incredible time. You know, there, there is a very significant um, symbol of, of, I believe, that you know, Dad being with me, um, you know, at, at certain times. And it pops up every now and again. And, you know, it's just the most bizarre things. We could be in, inside um, and a white feather would appear at the side of me, you know, could be on the floor at the side of me, could be on the sofa at the side of me, could be on the table where i'm working um but i stepped up onto the practice tee to have a little loosen up before i went out to play chucked a couple of balls down on the mat and went to pull the balls into place and I got my club out and, and lo and behold there's a white feather in between the two golf balls i mean you know it was just like okay um okay. You, you know and then just you know i've got to be honest with you the first hole was very very raw um there was an old friend who was the starter at the golf club uh or on the day who welcomed me and you know i had a, a fab fabulous welcome and there was a few members around that i remember from the days when i was a junior member 40 plus years ago and um you know i'm surprised they're still around to be honest with you and still playing golf which is even better so <laughs> but um yeah it was it was a little bit raw and i did manage to double bogey the first um just remember clattering around in the trees and then all of a sudden you know some of the memories um you know came came back and you know birdie the second um 
five birdies later, I've managed to get it around the course in two under par 69, including a birdie at the last. For those of you that haven't seen, have a look out on the Insta and Facebook posts. There are some um, some video footage. Becky was um, adamant she was going to get some video footage. So on the 18th, I hit cracking tee shot, just pushed it a little bit right, took a bounce over the bunker and behind two oak trees, which then required a 40-yard um, slinging hook with an eight iron from about 120 yards, which managed to knock into about 18 feet, knocked the putt in for a birdie. Um, <laughs> it was very reminiscent of some of the golf that I played with my dad when he was caddying for me. Um, my caddy's prettier today than I was when I was playing mm -hmm. as a youngster with my dad, but um, you know, I, I could really, you know, feel that you know it was the best way to salute you know, the time that I've had in my life mm -hmm. with my dad. So um, I, for those of you that are interested, you know, um, you know, I did manage to get it done. And a special thanks to Dan Whitby Smith, who's the pro who arranged for courtesy. I, I sent him a message. He was playing in the tournament and he contacted his assistant to get hold of me and give me a call um, just to say, look, you know, you can come down whenever you like. So, uh, a range, range of time That's and, nice. uh, you know, Drayton Park, what a phenomenal golf course. It was not the course that I remembered when I grew up. You, it is such an incredible condition. I don't think I've ever seen it. Yes, they're in the midst of maintenance on the greens uh, and they weren't quite as pure as they would have been a couple of days earlier, but they still rolled incredibly well and the course was just incredible. It's just almost like, you know, well, you know, some of the trees that I could see over the top of when I was a kid, I could now walk underneath. I mean, that just shows you what happens in 43 years. But, you know, it was, um, yeah, it was, it was, you know, a very, very special day. And, and I will cherish it, um, you know, for as long as I breathe. And I will be there again, I'm sure. But um, on that note, um, I think we can look forward to next week. We've got uh, a, a more action-packed tour talk to, to be going on with. Um, little wonder, the European tour takes a wonder from Scotland down to the uh, borders of London in Surrey. We're down at Wentworth. We're at the PGA Championship, and um, that's going to be quite interesting. Um, you know, I think, I think Wentworth in October you know, it is phenomenal. It's just the most incredible venue where at any time of the year it is, but this time of the year, it reminds me of the world match play again, where Seve, you know, played so many, you know, great tournaments mm. and won so many times, but, um, you know, to see uh, Wentworth at this time of the year where the leaves are changing colour and, you know, some of the leaves will be on the ground, of course, but um, the course will be in absolutely stunning condition. I hope it stays dry. Um, it will be a little bit wetter than it was this time last week, unfortunately. But, um, you know, do wish everybody well and, and uh, everybody can stay safe. Where are we in the States then, um, Gareth? What's going on next? I'm, I'm not sure on the PGA Tour, Andy. Mr. Google will help me out very, very quickly. But I, I'm, I'm with you. I think um, the Scottish Open did, played really it? well yeah. little, sorry, last week. Um, it's the Shriners Hospital for Children Open Fabulous. next week. And that's at, that's at the PJ of Summerlin. So, uh, you know, that'll be, you know, again, phenomenal. Just get golfers back out there. You know, I mean, it's, it's, this is the start. I mean, you know, it's mad, isn't it? You know, we've barely got in where we didn't get into October. In September, we're starting the 2021 season. So, um, you, you know, yeah. and Sergio leading the FedEx points anyway um <laughs> what was that? there was an interesting stat that popped up there last week actually while they were playing in punta cana um in dom rep they were talking about the fact that those guys that won during the sort of fall period at the start of the season um i i, I want to say it was like 10 out of 11 winners or something like that in this area were also played in the tour championship only a few weeks earlier so, so winning at this wow. time of the year on the PGA Tour, not to be sniffed at, you know, the, for whatever reason, you know, and of course it's a good run in. I mean, Sergio now, he's got to be full of confidence going, you know, six weeks time, we're heading over to Augusta and it's just incredible. And I don't know if you've seen the pictures, but it looks a little different than it did this time last week. And it's I green. did tell you. It's green. I Andy did tell it. You. Andy so, it. yeah. Of course, you could have pulled any amount of pictures out 
and and seen that. Yeah. I mean, you know, verified. You know, is is going to be. Um, you know, time will tell. But yeah, I am. Um, you know, you only need. Uh, you could see that some of the grass was coming through. Um, if you look very closely, some of the brown uh, images. But um, yeah, ultimately the overseeding program looks like it's kicked in, and the course is looking lush and green again so um yeah what a difference a couple of weeks makes there but um yeah it'll prove to be a phenomenal venue and um it'll be an incredible tournament and definitely one eye more than one eye is looking out for that now so uh, uh we thank you so much for your time for the time listening and your questions of course that we haven't had any this week so feel free to Focus in the areas that hurt. So you know you can catch us on every single one of our um, platforms on um, social media. So Insta, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, Andy Gorman Golf. Uh, contact us there or golfandygorman.com if you've got any questions you'd like us to answer. Then um, you know feel free, and we will. If, if the earlier you can give it to us before the weekend. Uh, gives us a little bit of time to get the answer if we need to, but um, send me a send, like I said during lockdown, uh, during the Insta lives, send me a question that can stump me, and uh, you know I'll be I'll be happy because you know although I'm busy, give me something to look out for. So uh, thanks for watching, uh, well, watching. Thanks for listening, and uh, we'll catch up with you this time next week. Bye for now. <laughs>